Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. On today's show, we're talking about what makes the city of St. Louis and the Midwest more broadly a place where LGBTQ plus people can live and thrive and what makes it difficult to do so. In October, St. Louis found itself on two national rankings of LGBTQ plus friendly cities. One came out of the Human Rights Campaign and put St. Louis and Kansas City, Missouri among its friendliest places. The other, put together by St. Louis-based Clever Real Estate, had both those cities, St. Louis and Kansas City, in that order, at the bottom of its list. In other words, Missouri's two biggest cities are both the best and the worst for LGBTQ people. So what does it all mean? Here to talk with us about that discrepancy in rankings and what it's like to be an LGBTQ plus person living in St. Louis and other parts of the Midwest, we welcome three guests. Avi Ivaturi is peer support organizer at St. Louis Queer Support Helpline, or SQUISH. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Inora Morris is Executive Director of the Midwest Rainbow Research Institute. Inoro, thank you for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. And we also have Nick Dunn. Nick is Public Information Officer for Mayor Tashara Jones, an LGBTQIA plus and arts liaison for City of St. Louis. Welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. And so happy to have you all here today. We'll also be taking your calls this hour. As a member of the LGBTQ community, what's your experience living and working in St. Louis? Do you feel supported here? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. You can send us an email at talk at stlpr.org, or you can submit comments on X. We're at STL on Air or our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page. So these rankings, let's just get a sort of initial reaction to them. What did you think when you saw this, Nick? Um, well, first, uh, it was truly an honor for the Human Rights Campaign to select St. Louis uh, this year to launch their, their Municipal Equality Index. It was amazing because they recognized the work that St. Louis was doing um, to be inclusive of its community despite being in a red state. Um, and so that was a real honor to have them here to launch that. Um, and that also the second ranking also came as a surprise to us because of the amount of work that we're doing and the recognition from Human Rights Campaign. So um, it caught us off guard. Uh, but it is something, you know, we can always do better. And that commitment has not changed because of that ranking. Mm -hmm. And Avi, for your part, what did you think when you saw this? uh, It was all over social media. Yeah, for sure. I think, to me, both of these rankings are flawed because uh, one focuses primarily on Uh, the city as a kind of an isolated unit of policy and the other on the state. Um, And I think in reality, the the queer folks in this city are affected by both city policy and state policy. And I think I would I would go even further to say that policy is 
fine, but it doesn't necessarily always reflect the actual living conditions and quality of life of everyday St. Louisans. And I think that information is really only able to be found by talking to community members like I do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Now, Inoru, you have a sort of broader perspective on this. Is there anything that Avi has mentioned that sort of rings true for you insofar as your reaction to seeing these rankings come out? Yeah, uh, looking at it, the methodologies, the metrics that both of them use are very specific to both that local municipal policy level and also the state level policy. But just as mentioned before, there are lots of other factors that aren't necessarily solely related to one's sexual orientation and gender identity that would affect their friendliness. Mm-hmm. And in conversations that you all have with people, I mean, these are like formal rankings with their own methodologies and criteria. But how do you generally rank St. Louis um, in terms of friendliness to LGBTQ plus people? Avi, let's start with you. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, it's such a mixed bag because I think it totally depends on uh, like what is, um, yeah, just like what is the specific identities that people have. Um, so, you know, it, it's totally about like the intersectional identities that people are, are, are holding. You know, I think it's somewhere in the middle of these two rankings. St. Louis has a really strong, tight-knit, uh, small but tight-knit community of queer and trans people. And they've developed, you know, we've developed really important chosen family relationships and networks of care throughout the city that have nothing to do with the city or the state, really. They're Mm -hmm. totally uh, community-run. And so for folks who are plugged into those networks, it can be a really good opportunity for people to get their needs met through community. But, you know, this is not something that every queer person has access to. And I I think to focus, I think it was interesting to see both the indexes, the HRC index and the Clever index focus solely on policy, because I think that's, um, you know, something that uh, academics and researchers often rely on as indicators of the the health and, uh, you know, uh, happiness and, and all of that of a specific marginalized community. But, you know, like I mentioned before, this doesn't always translate to uh, actually like having queer people supported, mm-hmm. especially the most marginalized queer people. Right. And Nick, you're nodding as, as Avi is speaking. What is it that resonates for you to not only given your position with uh, the city of St. Louis, but as a, as a resident, someone who was here before that job even started. Absolutely. So I think Avi hit all the right points, you know, that, you know, I being a representative of the city, you know, we are focused on policy and how we can, you know, improve conditions through that route, because that's the route that we and the role that we play. However, uh, there, there's a lot to be said about the culture and community. I think even outside of the queer community, a lot of people will say that it's difficult to make friends or find their own space here in St. Louis. Uh, and and, th- and that's especially true for the queer community, which is much smaller and much you know more tight knit. Uh, and so, and intersectional identities do play heavily into this. If you are a, a black trans woman, it is more difficult to find the resources, care, and even community to give you the support that you need. And so, um, so yeah, I, I would fully agree with everything Avi had to say about that. Mm-hmm. 
And as far as you know, the the flex points go. Mm-hmm. Um, that was it was an interesting term. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether uh, this is meant to be like a, a flex, and these are really great things, or being flexible about thinking about what is positive and what is not. Inoru, um, you have again this perspective. You are closer to the other city that was mentioned in these rankings, which is. Uh, Kansas City, um, what are the flexes that that we can legitimately say really do uh, belong not only to St. Louis but also to Kansas City? I think one of the biggest important things is to rely on the context and looking at Kansas City, for instance, the idea of creating avenues for voices to be heard within different governing structures is has been a massive flex. The LGBT commission um, and ensuring that there is a remarkable amount of visibility, uh, it has an indirect effect on creating a culture and a community of acceptance and tolerance, which is very much needed during this time period. Mm-hmm. And if we could kind of point to things that are uh, being done better outside the Midwest? Are there any sort of points that we can take uh, for making things you know, more livable um, in St. Louis and uh, in, in Kansas City? Uh, yeah, I, I think when we look at the state of Illinois or we look at the state of Minnesota, the idea of using municipal power to create these sanctuaries where individuals who belong to minority groups or individuals who are being targeted by state-level policy uh, in terms of trans care, ensuring that individuals within the municipalities have access to that, that is a major ability that cities can do. And it should be reflected in both St. Louis and Kansas City. Mm -hmm. As far as things that could be done better, Nick, you're being with the city. What is it that you are, are working on presently in order to make improvements that affect people in, in the day-to-day beyond just the language of policy? Yeah, uh, so we uh, have a, an LGBTQIA plus advisory board. Um, it consists of 10 members. And you know we've been meeting on a monthly basis since November of 2022 um, and discussing a variety of issues uh, that affect the community and anything from healthcare and housing to um, like p- uh, policies within the city on personnel, job training, uh, and stuff like that. So we, uh, back in October, we issued a report to Mayor Jones on our findings from uh, from having these discussions, and you know, it, and it covered a broad swath of um, of subjects. But I think what we found is that it's not only about you know legislation or policy, but it's also about the duty of our local agencies to uh, inform themselves, but and also inform the public of you know how they are you know, acting on behalf of the queer community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, and so it's really what we're, what we're recognizing is that, you know, St. Louis is a very inclusive community, but we have to build that culture within city government um, in order for folks to access services and be treated fairly, you know, having their, their name, their name and pronouns, you know, um, spoken correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, also just making sure that there are no, uh, there are fewer barriers, uh, preferably no barriers to access, accessing the services that everyone else can. Mm-hmm.
We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back very shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. Now, we're also reflecting on the year that was. And in June, I spoke with Terry Willits, an LGBTQ um, activist, writer, and artist. We spoke just after the 2023 Missouri legislative session and in the midst of Pride Month. And Terry told me that Pride had a different feeling this year. I think there's a lot of frustration surrounding it, too. I I don't know that there are a lot of people celebrating necessarily as much as in the past. I think there's still a carryover from all of the legislation, even though it seems to have calmed a little bit with... um, with some of it, you know, one being settled and signed, even though the outcome wasn't what anyone was hoping for. Um, I think that a lot of people are still, you know, making plans, you know, families making plans of what they need to do to care for their um, their loved ones right now. And, and they aren't necessarily in a celebratory mood. And again, that was local activist Terry Willits. As a member of the LGBTQ plus community, what has your experience been living and working in St. Louis? Do you feel supported here? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can send us an email at talk at stlpr.org or send us a comment on X. So to this point of pride. How is it that pride felt for you this year? In order, let's start with you. Pride was definitely a lot quieter for me. I think my husband and I just sort of stayed at home rather than participating in the larger festivals because of this increased sort of targeting that the community is feeling because of state-level policies being developed and initiated. Mm -hmm. And how did it feel, Nick, being on, on the city side? Yeah, uh, so, you know, I work closely with uh, leadership in a a number of organizations, and it really is just about perspective, Um, you know, because there are some organizations and some folks in the community who were still going out and celebrating. Um, But I know a lot of folks, particularly trans folks, who were hesitant, you know, especially given all of the attacks coming from uh, the state of Missouri this year. Some folks were reluctant to even go out because they didn't know how the the broader community was going to respond or treat them. and the the what I the, through the conversations I had, one of the things that we discussed was like visibility in and of itself is radical. Mm-hmm. Visibility is, um, is is an act of showing that yes, we exist in, within the queer community. We are beautiful. We are diverse. And you know, some people actually did end up showing up for Pride and you know celebrating, um, but others still chose to stay in. Which ultimately that was their decision, but. Um, it, it, it really was a mixed bag, you know, and I think that especially for gender nonconforming people, that was a difficult decision given everything that's been happening this year. Mm-hmm. Now, Avi, you are in charge of organizing peer support for Squish. 
What are the the calls? What sorts of calls did the Squish Hotline receive earlier this year? Yeah, we got a lot of calls from callers who were really just concerned about how they or their kids were going to continue accessing gender-affirming care. But even for folks who weren't directly impacted by the legislation because maybe they had already started on uh, you know, HRT or maybe they weren't uh, one of the populations that was being targeted by the legislation, it was still a, a period of grief, I think, um, for for the queer community and especially for the trans community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're also in uh, an interesting location here in St. Louis because, uh, you know, some folks have the ability to go across the river to Illinois to receive care. Right. And this isn't true for uh, some trans folks who live in Springfield or Columbia. It's, it's a lot harder to uh, get out to a different affirming state. So we, you know, we have, or at least some folks who have the resources to travel across state lines have that option. Mm -hmm. We have Eric who's calling from University City. Eric, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. The program and the work uh, your guests are doing. As a realtor and a member of Central Reform Congregation, we're very involved in helping to support the gay and lesbian community here. And sorry about some of the laws that have been passed. I'm wondering what are the top three or four things your guests feel like we, as citizens, can do to help support and build a supportive community, which also impacts our economic development of this state. And we're leaving lots of money on the table because of this very issue. Mm -hmm. So even if people don't care about the issue, they can care about We don't want to leave all this money on the table. Thank you very much. Eric, thank you so much for calling. Avi, I'd like for you to answer that one first. Sure. Yeah, thanks. Um, I I, I think one very common, probably the most common uh, topics that I talk to community members about is the isolation and lack of community. And I think, you know, part of this is is that, you know, there, there can be very affirming allyship spaces that, uh, you know, like the church you mentioned, um, that that can be accessible for, for some queer people, especially people who haven't had a lot of religious trauma and who feel comfortable in a church space. Um, and I think that's really helpful for them. But, but I also think that that there needs to be community space that is dedicated to queer people. You know, just uh, a couple months ago, the Tivoli Theater, which uh, used to be a, a community hub for queer people on Delmar, was uh, bought and taken over by One Family Church, which is a church that uh, is homophobic in its uh, and transphobic and queerphobic in in their uh, sermons and, and in their beliefs, and so. Um, we queer community has continually experienced the loss of community spaces Mm -hmm. and so whatever people everyday people can do to preserve those spaces to protest to show out because i think you know 
one of the one of the things I always notice as someone who goes to direct actions pretty frequently for for all kinds of things is that it's always the most uh, marginalized folks, the the black and brown queer and trans folks who are showing up to these protests. And, you know, in some ways it makes sense because these are the folks that are affected the most. But we need people who have privilege to also show up for us because that's the only way that we can get uh, the state or the city government or, you know, any, any number of institutions to listen because, uh, you know, Ally voices, uh, white cis hat voices have more power um, in in those spaces. Mm-hmm. So we really need people's allyship and showing up not just when where it's comfortable for people, but where where you can really push yourself to to be uh, a stronger ally. Right. And on the city level, Nick, what is what's happening to ensure that there are safe spaces? that are accessible to people. Yeah, so um, back in May, uh, uh, we hosted a round table with folks from the trans community um, in Mayor Jones's office, and we heard directly from them. Uh, we, uh, Mayor Jones did sign an executive order that day as well um, in response to some of the attacks from uh, the Attorney General, um, just to move city processes forward to be more inclusive. And so uh, two of the, the biggest things that we are working on right now is, um, uh, uh, we are in partnership with folks uh, affiliated with Transparent, uh, and we are working towards building youth programming in our rec centers, uh, especially given that our trans youth were sidelined by the legislature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're looking to build out spaces where queer youth can play sports, you know, in community with other queer youth, but also implementing training uh, within our rec centers so that our rec center supervisors and coaches uh, can also be inclusive of those of those youth. Uh, so that way they can play with their peers who may not be queer or trans because as I said you know that visibility is very important um, and so that that's a big one that we're working on the other one is that we are doing a full evaluation of all public buildings and ensuring that we have at least one uh, ju- gender neutral or single-use restroom mm-hmm. uh, uh, that way anyone who comes into City Hall or any public building can feel safe and welcome um, and not forced into you know the binary decision of male or female restrooms right in, in our uh, that that caller, Eric, from University City, he talked about leaving money on the table. And one of the reports that we're talking about came out from a, a an organization that deals with real estate. So when it comes to the things that are being missed out on, not only by folks who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, I mean, what else are we losing by not being um more not just more friendly in attitude but more friendly in in policy and in creation of community well i'm going to quote the late jane adams uh from the 20th century and say the ills of democracy can only be solved with more democracy so as much as i want to talk about the economics what we're actually talking about here is democratic participation in our society in general And the more we have these targeted policies that exclude individuals, the more we're telling them that they're not allowed to participate in our democratic system, which will only exponentiate the harm that's being done. So it really then is about people power um, in a a very particular way. Avi? Yeah, um, I I just want to respond to that by saying, you know, I think... uh, 
electoral uh, participation and, and democratic participation is is great and and a lot of people find meaning and uh, you know purpose in that and I think that uh, reducing the like activism required to be strictly electoral participation as opposed to community organizing um, is very limiting because I think the you know whether it's the city government or the state government no government is just by by nature of the the reason why the state exists to you know up uphold uh, capitalism and white supremacy like this system is not going to free us. And, uh, you know, it's sure it's important to like vote for which candidate is like less harmful to the queer community. And that can be important for people's just everyday survival. But organizing in community and creating alternatives to the systems that we're living in is the only way that we can be free. We're going to take a quick break here, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. So before the break and throughout the show, we've been calling for engagement. And we heard from Sharon, who writes on X, I'm very lucky to be fully supported at work, home, and okay uh, in St. Louis, but I have the privilege of being a white, financially secure cisgender woman. A hidden population of queer folks, or is queer folks, with disabilities. We need to support everyone to find their people. We'd like you also to join this conversation. Tell us what your experience has been as a member of the LGBTQ plus community and what it's been like to live and work in St. Louis. Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Also send us an email at talk at stlpr.org or send us a comment on X at STL on air. Now, the legislative session is something um, that is going to be starting again. And in the the last year, uh, you know, 2023 was a big year for LGBTQ plus community and for families in Missouri. And the uncertainty over whether adults would have access to gender-affirming care was something that forced many people to scramble and to change their plans for how they would proceed with their treatment um, and their transition um, in in very tough ways that we've already talked about. Um, And we had an opportunity to speak with with AJ, A.J. Hackworth. A.J. is a Springfield resident and father of two. He shared this about what it was like to help folks in rural Missouri access gender-affirming care. I have a friend 
uh, who has been saving up to get uh, gender-affirming care and wasn't planning on starting until September, but they've known that they were going to transition for years. Um, this just happened to expedite the process. They wanted to be more financially stable, but they had to do it while they still could. So I arranged to meet them here in uh, Springfield uh, at Planned Parenthood, and I actually went with them yesterday, and I'm so, so honored to have been able to be there and to hold his hand and, uh, while he got his blood work. So being in contact with other trans people in the rural areas of Missouri has meant a lot to me, but it's also like really scary because I know that they're even more alone than I am. So I try to make myself public and visible and uh, reach out to these people to make sure that they have the resources that they have, because otherwise they, they don't have anything. AG also shared this message about community support and allyship that he's witnessed this year. The only folks who have any sense of urgency about this, in my experience, are the providers and the trans people. Even my cisgender friends aren't pressed about it. And I know that there are a lot of other things going on in the country right now. You know, we're all very scared. But this feels like a step toward, this may sound extreme, but it feels like a step toward eradication of transgender people. And I'm trying to scream into the sun to make other people feel that urgency. And it honestly around here feels pretty like it's falling on deaf ears. So for allies, we need you to step up. We need you to talk. We need you to talk to the people in your lives who don't know about it. We need you to talk to the people in your lives who have a preconceived notion of queer and trans people and tell them what it's, tell them who we really are. And to my trans siblings, it is gonna be okay. It's really scary right now. And I'm right there with you and I am angry, but time is going to go by and we have folks fighting for us and we are going to be okay. That was A.J. Hackworth speaking on this show in April, several days after Attorney General Andrew Bailey issued a temporary emergency order to place restrictions on gender-affirming care for people of all ages. Bailey has since withdrawn that emergency rule. What is on your mind um, hearing those reflections from A.J. Inoru? It's very indicative of what's going on around the country. Uh, Missouri is not the first state to try and direct a bureaucracy, a professional uh, bureaucrat agency to attack agencies. The state of Texas tried to do that as well. And it's one of those moments where if you are an open and affirming family, then you get to use the politics of parental rights against the very people trying to use the state to attack your children. Mm -hmm. It's not the state's decision to seek affirming care. It's a family's 
in this matter. So that's a very um, powerful tool to use against the very voices trying to do harm. Mm-hmm. And Avi, is the feeling or any of the feelings that AJ shared common among people who call the Squish hotline, you know, a feeling of erasure, uh, of not being um, not being heard, even though they're using all of their their might um, to raise their voices. Absolutely, yeah. I I hear from callers, um, and we hear from callers and just regular community members out in in the world all the time about how they feel uh, invisibilized by the state, um, and I think it's driven a lot of people to consider moving out of the state, moving to more, uh, you know, trans-friendly states. Um, I I think this has been uh, both a good option for some people and really inaccessible to others who either, you know, it takes a lot of resources to move for anyone who has moved uh, across state lines before it's expensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not to mention that, uh, you know, the queer community, if, if there's one, I mean, we have a lot of strengths, but our biggest one is probably our our ability to create that that slow but steady relationship building and community and chosen family that that uh, is really the lifeblood of our community and keeps us going despite these uh, state-imposed obstacles to uh, transition in this case. And and I think it's it's really hard for someone who has spent years maybe, you know, building up those relationships to then pick up and say, okay, I'm going to move halfway across the country. It's just not feasible. So yeah, I, I think we've, we've heard both of those things from folks and, and just generally like the isolation and lack of community. And I think, um, you know, to AJ's point, it's it's especially uh, prevalent in, in rural areas. Some of our most common calls are actually from uh, rural areas like out in the county or even like beyond the beyond St. Louis County um, of folks who say, you know, I've never met another trans person in my life. Like this is uh, especially for for callers uh, who are homebound, who are disabled, chronically ill. Uh, amongst the raging pandemic like you know these are folks who really don't have anyone to uh, vent to or talk about and so they turn to squish as that uh you know queer affirming ear Mm -hmm. and if there are not the kinds of services or support in a place like st louis nick or you know down in in kansas city um you know you're, you're closer to there what is it you know, that we are we're not thinking about or need to do more about when it comes to attracting and maintaining those folks who are already here. What are some of the things that at the city level um, are on not only on your radar but on the list of things that you are trying to do in order to make this uh, not just a, a place that tops a list that is has a national, exposure, but one that really matters to people in the day-to-day. Yeah. So, you know, I think as a city, especially uh, being blue city in a red state like St. Louis or Kansas City, you know, we have to deal with preemption from the state level. Um, And so our hands are tied in a lot of different ways. And so, you know, the alternatives that we look at is, you know, through our Department of Health and, you know, the boards in which 
representatives from different hospitals and medical systems come together and meet. Like that is a place for influence, and that is a place for um, for 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 bringing these providers together to understand what the landscape is. Given um, you know being in a state that is not friendly to trans people. Uh, and how we can build um, build a coalition around that work. Mm-hmm. And I do want to lift up uh, Dr. Mari Schlotzweil-Davis, who's our D- Department of Health Director. Um, she does an incredible job of being very affirming and looking for those options given uh, the limitations that we have at the state level. Uh, and so that's actually a recommendation that came from our advisory board was um, to build out a resource from the city of St. Louis uh, where people could access understanding where you know, private and, um, you know, larger uh, medical providers do provide gender affirming care, even if it is across state lines, just so people know that there are resources there. And we want to provide those to them, given that we can't force hospitals in St. Louis to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. And Inoru, you, you are looking kind of more regionally. I mean, why does it matter that we have uh, a, a thriving LGBTQ plus community or population in the Midwest? Um, I think if you look at the statistics from surveys that have been doing sort of self-disclosure, the number of LGBTQ people who are self-identifying are growing exponentially. I think in the last 10 years, it's doubled. Uh, So this idea that we're everywhere, Mm -hmm. no matter where you are in the state, no matter where you are in the region, there are going to be queer people and they're going to have needs and i believe it's always been the obligation the moral obligation of the state in all of its forms to empower all of its citizens given it's each citizen sort of uh oppressions that they're facing so Mm -hmm. it's vital for the health and well-being of our society not just for queer populations but for all peoples And as we wrap from each of you, we have just a little over a minute left. What is it that you are looking out for in the 2024 Missouri legislative session? Nick? Uh, Well, we are currently watching the pre-filed bills. I know that there are, you know, uh, at least uh, 20 uh, bills, probably more that have been pre-filed. So we're just we're keeping an eye on those. Uh, But ultimately, uh, we want to ensure that regardless of what happens at the state level, um, that we share the message that St. Louis is a welcoming place. You know, we we have plenty of work to do, no doubt, but that we, uh, me and my role as LGBTQ liaison and in tandem with the many organizations we have on this side of the state, we are committed to making sure that St. Louis is a place where everyone can thrive regardless of their gender identity Mm -hmm. or sexual orientation. And very quickly, Nick, what are you most concerned about in terms of the pre-filed bills? What, what am I concerned about? Yeah. Um, it, just a uh, quick glance, it is uh, the suppression of free speech, you know, within schools, within um, within any public space, public libraries. You know, that is an opportunity where people can find themselves and find community. And that is um, we're seeing that attempts at op- oppression through mm-hmm. those avenues. Inoro, for you, what are you looking for next year? Uh, essentially the same. I'm looking... What I find most concerning are bills that would, by slow operation, chip away to where the larger public doesn't see it as an issue versus a larger bill that would outright ban. And Avi? Yeah, for me, I'm looking locally. I'm, I, I, because my work is so boots on the ground, I, I don't necessarily think about, you know, state legislation like 
they're going to do what they're going to do. I think for me, local support would look like more peer support, especially for crisis intervention. Uh, you know, defunding, abolishing the police and prisons, you know, uh, mandating that healthcare practices have queer affirming practices, actually having trans affirming shelters, which currently that's not something that we have and the city has control over that. So mm-hmm. these are these are some of the things that when, when the city says we don't have control over these things, like this is what they can do. Avi Vittori is peer support organizer at St. Louis Queer Support Hotline. Helpline, Nick Dunn is public information officer for Mayor Tashara Jones, an LGBTQIA and arts liaison for the city of St. Louis. And Inora Morris is executive director of the Midwest Rainbow Research Institute. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.